Do you love unraveling a good old-fashioned whodunit? Oh honey, me too. I'm Alicia, armchair detective and host of Dead On, a true crime podcast. Join me every Friday. We'll dive into a case that scratches your itch for true crime, dark history, and mystery. Streaming now, everywhere you love to listen. If you deal with chronic pain, muscle soreness, migraines, or menstrual cramps, I am so excited to share one of my favorite products with you. Jovi is a medicine-free way to erase discomfort by using nanocapacitors to change the way your nervous system processes pain. To put it simply, it absorbs pain and tells your brain to no longer feel the pain in the specific area where you're holding the patch. Now, I know this sounds too good to be true and like some type of sci-fi fantasy gadget. So Jovi offers a no questions asked 120-day money-back guarantee. I personally love Jovi and can feel it instantly working whenever I put it on any particular area where I'm feeling pain. So get rid of any pain today and invest in a Jovi patch that will last you through years of use. You can save 10% by using the code DOEIDENTIFY or by using the link in this episode's show notes. Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. This podcast does not include graphic or explicit content. However, this podcast is based on the stories of people that are deceased and oftentimes murdered. So if the topic of death is bothersome to you or anyone around you, please use your best judgment when listening and also listen to the appropriate trigger warnings that I may give in any particular episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Doe Identify podcast. If you are new here, my name is Haley and in this podcast we try to advocate for unidentified victims to hopefully help them get their names back one day. It has been three weeks since I last published my episode and it is also the first episode of the year 2022 and I'm really excited about all the things that this year will bring. I have definitely put myself in a position to focus on my podcast a lot more this year, so I'm just really excited about the future. Now, I hope everyone had a very happy holiday, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrated in December. I just want to wish you a very happy holiday. Now, this week's episode does include John Doe's that were victims of pretty brutal crimes and very unnecessary crimes. I do not talk about the details of these two men's deaths out of respect for them and in case there are any parents listening in front of their children, but I did just kind of want to warn you all about the nature of these deaths. They definitely were not accidents by any means. So with all of that being said, let's go ahead and discuss One-Eyed Jack, which I have to say both of these John Doe's, I like can't stand calling them by these names. They both just feel really disrespectful and insensitive, but that is what the public 
knows them as. And so I'm just going to continue calling them that whenever I need to. So please just know that I don't appreciate these names and I'm not the one who came up with them. So on August 20th, 1979, skeletal remains were located along the Alaskan Highway near Toke, Alaska. Toke, also spelled like talk as in TikTok, Alaska is a small town on the border of Alaska and Yukon, Canada with a population of around 1,300 people. With the town being so small, it was quickly clear that this John Doe was not someone from the town because the locals of the town would have very clearly noticed if one of their own went missing. Meanwhile, in Nevada, a man named Jesse Burt Bishop confessed to killing a hitchhiker in September of 1978 in Alaska. Investigators were able to piece together that he was referring to this John Doe that was found along the Alaskan Highway. However, like most killers in these cases, Bishop didn't have a ton of information to offer police about this man, hence why he is still a John Doe. Bishop said that he picked him up near Boise, Idaho while on the way to Alaska. He said that this man who was missing his left eye was trying to go to Pendleton, Oregon, but asked if he could join Bishop on his trip to Alaska. Bishop said the hitchhiker was either named John or Jack, and I'm not entirely sure how you don't at least know the first name of somebody that you drive across a country with, but whatever. And he said that this victim had an Oregon driver's license, was a white male, and was specifically 32 years old, and that he was also a smoker. He said that the man wore a headband and To me, I'm wondering if this could have been a leather eye patch that was found with the remains. Bishop said he believes he remembers John or Jack telling him a story where the victim was hurt in a logging accident from a choker cable in Oregon, which if you all don't know, logging is very popular in states like Oregon because of their vast forests. He also thought that he worked for a Lincoln car dealership as a car washer in either Colorado or Utah. Additionally, the victim told him that he was married, but with all of that being said, Bishop told the police that John or Jack lied to him often. As the two were driving through Canada for dozens of hours from Idaho to Alaska, Bishop got annoyed with our John Doe, so he decided to murder him. You know, rather than the logical thing to do, which would have been to kindly drop him off at a bus station or just deal with it until you arrive at your destination and go separate ways. So Bishop went about murdering him in a very personal matter that I won't describe and whenever he was done he left him on the side of the alaskan highway bishop ended up dying in prison in 2003 and i do want to note if you're going to look up jesse bishop there is also a jesse walter bishop who seems to be a different killer and the region in which they killed seemed very similar to me And also the timelines are relatively similar as in Jesse Walter Bishop killed in the 1970s as well. But they are two different people. Jesse Burt Bishop was in police custody whenever he was confessing to murdering One-Eyed Jack. 
but I could not find what that was about, but hopefully it wasn't anything too serious and that this is the only person that he killed for absolutely no reason. Now, let's discuss the scene in which this John Doe was found. Because the remains were sitting for nearly one year, there were signs of animal activity. The mandible, also known as the lower jaw, was not found at the scene. The skull and various bones were scattered around the area as well as a chunk of long brown curly hair which belonged to the victim. His leather eye patch was found as well as a white marble with orange coloration in the pair of pants near the body. Investigators believe that this was the victim's prosthetic eye. And there actually was quite a lot of clothing left at the scene, thankfully, which can obviously help us identify this person a little bit easier. So here is the long list of things found with the skeletal remains. There was a green and brown plaid Mervyn's Mark II jacket, any size large. There was a green and white plaid CPO type of shirt. Blue jeans containing a Canadian dime and nickel in the right front pocket and a white orange marble in the left front pocket, which I mentioned earlier. A blue bandana, which also could have been the headband that Jesse Burt Bishop was referring to. A white t-shirt, blue socks, brown leather ankle lace boots, two packs of Winston brand cigarettes, three books of matches, and lastly, a broken yellow lead pencil. And I do want to note, and I don't want to sound like I am stereotyping the wonderful people of the state of Oregon, but there is kind of this fashion trend, or at least there has been for a very long time, where plaid is very popular. Um, I've heard people refer to it as like the lumberjack aesthetic where, you know, you just wear plaid and boots. And honestly, I think it's a really great look. Sometimes I dress like that, even though I'm not from Oregon. But I do think that with Jesse Burt Bishop saying that he believes this man was from Oregon, the way he dresses does lead to me thinking that this could have been true. Again, not trying to stereotype at all whatsoever. It's just like this is definitely the trend in Oregon, or at least it was for a very long time. The anthropologist on the case determined he was, in fact, a white male between the ages of 25 and 35, which does line up with what his killer said. So if you do the math, which I did, even though I'm horrible at math, he was likely born in the mid to late 40s, putting him in his late 70s if he was alive today. They also believe he was around six feet tall and 185 pounds. His top jaw was able to be recovered, which included multiple crowns and a root canal. Carl Koppelman did a wonderful sketch on this man, and he also made options of examples with and without the eye patch in case someone recognizes him in different ways. But because Jesse Burt Bishop did make a note that the man wore an eye patch over his left eye, I decided to use that one because I do think that would definitely be a very noticeable thing 
on someone rather than noticing someone with a prosthetic eye. I hope that makes sense. I just chose the one that I thought would stand out more and the one that he possibly presented himself as in life. I really feel horrible for this man. It sounds like he could have been living a transient lifestyle and either had no family he was in contact with or his family was used to him not contacting them frequently because this was the 70s. It's not like you could just pull out your iPhone and tell them like what state you're in or what country you're in for that matter. Because he would have been in his 70s today, I do ask all of you to ask your parents or grandparents if they ever had a brother or cousin disappear in the 1970s, or if you remember family stories of, you know, maybe a cousin or a brother or an uncle who was missing their left eye for whatever reason, or if they had a transient lifestyle and they just went missing, please go ahead and dig through that because this very well could have been someone related to you. With him missing specifically his left eye, I would hope that this would be a factor that would have helped him get identified, but clearly it just hasn't. And also another option is to go ahead and submit your DNA to GEDmatch so that way you can see if you are related to any Jane or John Doe's for that matter. If you do some digging and you end up having some information on who One-Eyed Jack could have been, please contact Stefan or Stephen Poach at the Alaska Medical Examiner's Office at 907-334-2200, agency case number 03-00887. Or call Malia Miller with the Alaska State Troopers at 907-269-5511, agency case number I-79-7425. Now let's take a quick commercial break from my amazing sponsors and we will be right back with someone who is unfortunately named Body28 in the Jane and John Doe community. Chewy is once again one of my partnerships for this podcast. Chewy is one of the longest partnerships I have on this podcast, and it's for a great reason. We started using Chewy when we got our first dog, Ranger, in college, which was like four years ago, because it helped us save so much money through their auto ship program. Now that we have two dogs, we go through way more food now, and the auto ship program takes remembering to buy them their food every month off my plate completely. All I did was set up the frequency I want their food to be delivered, and it comes every single month. If you would like to try out the AutoShip program, you can save 30% on your first order using my link in the show notes. If you have a fur baby, I know you will love Chewy as much as I do. Do you love having long, luscious eyelashes but hate the time it takes to put falsies on every morning? What about the cost of eyelash extensions and the long appointments to get them refilled? If you get just as frustrated as I do, Flutter Habit is the perfect solution for you. Flutter Habit offers DIY eyelash extensions at home that are a fraction of the price of regular extensions. Not to mention, they last for five days, which is far longer than regular glue-on eyelashes. 
If you're ready to up your eyelash game from the comfort of your own home, use the link in my show notes to get 10% off your first order. Thank you so much to Flutter Habit for working with me on this podcast episode. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for bearing with me as I do talk about the sponsors of this podcast. I am so grateful for all of my sponsors and those of you who use my affiliate links. Every penny that I have earned from this podcast has gone directly back to my equipment. And right now I am hoping to hire an editor because that would make podcasting so much easier for me and it would make me a lot more consistent because what I love is researching and helping get exposure but I don't love the editing process in all honesty and I'm really not good at it. If you are an OG listener, you totally know what I'm talking about. I used to be horrible at editing, but I think I have improved over the past few months. I'm sure some people will let me know if I haven't, but let's just go ahead and get into the next John Doe. Unfortunately, the next victim's nickname is just Body28. This is because he was one of the 29 victims of serial killer John Wayne Gacy. All of them were found on Gacy's property in Cook County, Illinois, so we can't just call him Cook County John Doe, and all of them are found in the same year, so we couldn't really decipher between all of them. It's just really difficult, and I feel like Body 28 is so dehumanizing, so I'm going to try to not call him that, but if you do end up researching this case or seeing if you know them, you will have to look up body 28 of John Wayne Gacy. So this victim in particular was probably the second victim of the serial killer. In this episode, I want to focus on the victim as much as possible because John Wayne Gacy deserves absolutely no attention. He's already gotten plenty. However, there is so little information on this victim, so I have to draw some conclusions from John Wayne Gacy's MO as a serial killer because all of the victims are very similar. So this victim was a white male between 5'6 and 5'11 in height and likely disappeared between January 3rd, 1972 or July 31st, 1975. According to a book by Troy Taylor titled True Crime, Illinois, the state's most notorious criminal cases, Gacy stated this murder was around January 1974. No matter if this is accurate or not, evidence suggested this murder happened in the very beginning of Gacy's killings. The victim's hair color was brown, but there is no description on if it was curly or straight. And unfortunately, he was very young at just 14 to 18 years old. There was clothing found on the victim, and this includes a plain silver colored ring on his ring finger on the left hand, so where you would wear your wedding band, blue jeans, a shirt in which they gave no description of, underwear, and socks, which also didn't have any description. They do say his clothing was deteriorated, so I'm not sure if the colors were just not able to be recognized because of the deterioration. Because of the manner in which Gacy 
disposed of this person in his home and he actually ended up moving this body. I'm not going to give any other details because it literally made me sick to my stomach, especially when you realize this person was a child. It's no wonder the clothing was very deteriorated and also discolored. Investigators believe that he was married because of the silver ring on his hand. However, with him being 14 to 18, I do theorize that it could have been a purity ring or a promise ring. More likely, this was a purity ring because I would hope his girlfriend looked for him when, one, he went missing, and two, when the news of Gacy's killings took over the news. He still sometimes makes the news to this very day, especially in the regions in which he did find his victims. So I just would hope that people would connect the dots if this was the case, but especially with this being in this early to mid 70s, it wouldn't be surprising if it was a purity ring. I know a lot of people who still wear them and I'm sure there were even more back in those days. John Wayne Gacy typically targeted young males at the Chicago bus station and or Washington Square Park. He also talked to young men. He would walk past wherever he was, and the way he would lure them in is he would tell them that he either had work for them to do, drugs or alcohol they could use, or offer sexual acts to them, which, again, is particularly disturbing considering a lot of them are extremely young. As a last resort, he sometimes posed as a police officer to abduct his victims. With the theories of him being a young married teenager, typically, and I'm not saying all of them are like this, but typically those types of people are not looking for drugs or sexual acts from a older creepy man. So I would say it's more likely he was looking for work, but I could be totally wrong. I've been wrong many times before when people are identified. Now, I do want to talk about the first known victim of Gacy, who was named Timothy McCoy, as this was possibly weeks or months and maybe, in some people's opinions, years before our John Doe was killed. Timothy was either 16, 17, or 18. This is a very simple detail that none of my sources could agree on. It was odd. But Gacy and Timothy met at the Chicago bus station after McCoy was returning home from a Christmas party in Michigan. He was trying to make his way back home to Glenwood, Iowa, where he lived with his aunt and uncle. This all took place sometime between December 31st, 1971 and January 3rd, 1972. Timothy was also an unidentified victim until May 1986, and I wanted to discuss his story because it shows that Gacy's first victim was also a young white male, and he found this victim at the Chicago bus station. So perhaps the victim known as Body 28 had a similar story. In something that is just incredibly disturbing to me that I wanted to share is Gacy blames all of his 29 plus killings on Timothy McCoy. He says that Timothy, a young guy, attacked him in his bedroom and I just wanted to share how absolutely messed up that is that you would just like blame 
using self-defense on someone as like a trigger to hurt dozens of people. I just wanted to share that because that was just the weirdest thing for me that like he couldn't even blame himself. He had to blame this young teenage boy that he became a serial killer. Like, no, sir, Timothy is not the reason. And also I doubt Timothy did attack you because he was a young teenager. Now, there are five other unidentified victims of John Wayne Gacy's. I do plan to cover them in future episodes, but there isn't much information on these victims either. And I do kind of theorize that it could be because there were so many of them. Clearly, 29 victims being hidden in one house would be overwhelming to any police force. So it may have just been a little bit overwhelming to find a ton of evidence on all of these people and also the way in which they were disposed of is very difficult in regards to preserving evidence. So it's just really complicated, but there definitely is a huge lack of information on all of these John Doe's. And to be honest, if you lived in any of the northern states at this time, or your parents did, or your grandparents did, I would just suggest looking into if you had any family members that went missing, or even friends that went missing, and you just haven't heard from them in a long time, I would just consider if any of the six unidentified victims could be someone you're related to. The Chicago bus station inside of the Loop in Chicago, it sounds like it was a huge hub for traveling across the northern Midwestern states. And so if you had a friend or if your parents had a friend or even your grandparents had a friend that was just traveling and went missing and everyone assumed that maybe they stayed wherever they were traveling to because they were happier there, whatever the case may be, I would just consider if they could be any of the six unidentified victims of John Wayne Gacy's. Unfortunately, when men go missing, it's like the last thing on people's mind that they have been abducted by another man. But it obviously can happen, and I think that's why none of these victims have been identified. I think their families just think that they ran away or just are off traveling still to this day. So with that being said, if you have any information on what Body28's real name is, please contact Detective Lieutenant Jason Moran at 708-865-6244, agency case number 78-803640. And because this is such a high-profile case, you can also submit a tip on the Cook County Sheriff's Office's website, which I will link in my show notes. It's a really great form that you can just fill out really quickly. It will save you a ton of time, and it even asks for evidence that suggests that you may know this person. So it's just a really awesome way to submit a tip. 
And that about does it for this week's episode. I will be back in probably two weeks with some other cases, not to give it away or anything like that, but I was going to cover one of these cases in this episode because these people were also killed by serial killers but then I realized I was researching two different people who just have the exact same story and the exact same killer. So I thought it would just be the most amazing episode to share next time. Thank you all so much for listening and please don't forget to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and you can also do that now for all of your podcasts on Spotify. So please just give every podcast you listen to a review. It really helps us a ton and it also helps us with the algorithms recommendations to other listeners. Thank you all so much. I hope you are having an amazing and blessed new year and made this year be better than the past two for everyone under the sun. Bye everyone.